This excellent medical student-led podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as medical advice under any circumstance. Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode 34. I'm really excited to introduce another new face who's joining us for season three. Her name is Sherry Lowe. She's another medical student here at Northwestern. I'm gonna let her say hi. Hi, I'm Sherry. I'm a fourth year at Northwestern. I'm really excited to be here. So thanks for inviting me on, Kevin. Awesome. Why don't you introduce our guests today? Oh, sure. So today we're joined by two fourth year medical students, some very good friends of mine, Lauren and Tuisha. So if you guys want to introduce yourself, go ahead. My name is Lauren. I'm another fourth year at Feinberg. I went to Northwestern for undergrad and I'm from around here to the suburbs, Desplaines, if anyone knows that one. I'm interested in psychiatry and neurology, still deciding right now, down to the wire a bit. And I was asked to give a fun fact, so I'm going to use the one I always use, which is when I was in high school, I sang for the Pope once. What? What did you sing? We sang like some Ave Marias and like liturgical music because we visited Rome for Easter. Wow. So yeah. I went to Catholic school. <laughs> if that wasn't obvious. <laughs> Not Catholic. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Tuisha. I'm also a fourth year med student here at Feinberg. And I am from the Omaha, Nebraska area. That's where I grew up. My family's in Dallas now. I went to school in St. Louis, so a little all over the Midwest. And now I'm here. I'm applying OB-GYN is what I'm going into. I didn't have a fun fact. I'm pulling one. So Lauren and I are roommates and we met each other interviewing here. So the fun fact I said that day was that I have an extra tooth in my jaw. And so I was born with it and it just kind of hangs there. Like a bonus wisdom. Yeah, a bonus, but it's not wisdom because it's like out here more in the middle of my jawline. So that's my fun fact. (laughs) It's so, it's like not even visible. Yeah, thank God. (laughs) Yeah, everyone listening can just imagine it. (laughs) All right, let's get started. So we'll start the case. So hold the slide. Okay. So Alec one is a 30-year-old female with hypothyroidism presenting to clinic with three weeks of worsening lower extremity swelling. Interesting. I feel like for the chief complaint of lower extremity swelling, something I want to know first is unilateral or bilateral. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's unilateral, I feel like that would clue me into things I want to rule out, like a DVT, things like that. If it's bilateral, I think you more systemic, like heart failure other like venous issues. I agree. It's something that I would want to like, like you said, like be quick about would be like DVT, which could like worsen to like a PE, which is like something I'd be nervous about. I'm trying to think of like anything that I would want to like rule out right away. And I think that's the thing I'd be the most worried about. Heart failure, I think would add to it. I'd be worried about like pregnancy as well. It's a female, you mean pregnancy. Oh, be God. <laughs> but pregnancy causes swelling and it's yeah. more like of a long-term issue. So that's something that I would want to test for. Yeah. The other thing I just thought of is like infection, if it's unilateral. So just interview systems, asking about those things and seeing if there's any like erythema or other things along with the swelling. Yeah. Similarly, I thought of cellulitis can cause inf- like infectious. So that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking about too. So like those things would lead me down that path. To think about other buckets, but I think we thought of infectious bucket. We thought of like a cardiovascular bucket, uh-huh. like an omegaline, mm-hmm. clotting disorders we did. Muscular things can cause swelling, I think too. Like yeah. if you like have like, like an injury. I think it's interesting that it's worsening over the course of three weeks because as you pointed out, like time course is really important for something like this. I guess I'd be a little bit less worried about an injury because hopefully that'd be getting better. I think you're right to be putting on the differential. Or like the injury causing the infection. For sure. So I'd want to know more about their past medical history too. Like do they have diabetes or anything like that? That might make them more prone to something. Yeah. 
the 30 year old is just like really throwing me off because there's like so many things we think about when they're older but like 30 yeah. is just young to exactly yeah it's weird to see healthy people right yeah well, I know be guy. No, but yes. Congratulations, right here, thirty-year-old women. It's kind of all I have. I yeah, there's other thoughts that you have. Yeah, not for my systems. <laughs> I can think of. I like your guys' first initial start. We'll give you some more information to help, and then we can build from there. Yeah. So the next aliquot, she first noticed the swelling after a bachelorette trip three weeks ago. And since then, her swelling has been worsening, which is now up to her mid-thighs bilaterally. Compression stockings and elevation have not helped. She thinks it's exacerbated by salty foods and with drinking alcohol. And an extensive ROS only revealed an episode of hair thinning and hair loss six months prior. A last bullet. I know <laughs> Random. Okay. I mean, like, thyroid issues can cause, like, hair Oh, thinning. yeah. That's true. Okay. So the bachelorette trip makes me think, like, travel a little bit. So a little bit more of like the infectious things mm -hmm. that you said. But it seems like the swelling is bilateral because it's now up to her mid-thighs. So it kind of rolls out like DVT a little bit to me. Mm -hmm. Salty foods. That makes sense. Like you're just holding on to fluids. Like, but that could also lead to like a cardiovascular thing. Yeah, I guess that like the bilateral aspect and then the exacerbation by salty foods and alcohol makes me think more about like some sort of heart failure, which would be odd in this population. But then I guess I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too much, but I'm thinking about like the causes of heart failure in a young person. Yeah. Like a viral, like my, my own. Yeah, like, like you said, with the trip, for sure, I would want to know where they went. Like it'd be different if it was like pre-domestic or not. For sure. And then like maybe genetic causes of heart failure as well. I'd be wondering about her family history. But the compression stockings and elevation, though, I'm not quite sure because I feel like compression stockings usually kind of help heart failure. What's your mark? But I don't, I don't know. I feel like compression stockings could help with like lymphat. Like if they if it was like lymphedema or like if you're like what's called venous insufficiency. Yeah, I think the compression stockings could help with that. But I don't know if they necessarily would fix the heart failure thing. I guess I just always see heart failure patients there, <laughs> so I'm not quite sure how much they're helping. I'm surprised that like. Because I'm also going down the path of like a cardiovascular issue that there's like no other issue on the review of systems. Yeah. I like would just, shortness of breath. Yeah. Or like anything or like any like instances of like some chest pain or like swelling anywhere else or, you know, because like you would think that if it's like a fluid overload state, there'd be like fluid elsewhere. I guess like the hair thinning, if we don't want to just say that's due to hypothyroid, is there other things that we want to think about? I don't have a great differential <laughs> for hair thinning. Me neither. I mean, I feel like there's different like alopecias, I think. And I know there's like some autoimmune causes of hair thinning, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And I guess in a female who's 30 years old, I think autoimmune is something I'd be thinking of, especially with like some confusing presentation. Yeah. I don't have anything specific though in mind. Same. And it seems like it got better because it said an episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I agree. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Anything else that I guess we narrowed it. I, I don't think we broadened our differential, which is fine with me. I don't know if that's good with you. Mm -hmm. I think we're more like on the path of infectious cardiovascular. Mm -hmm. So now I guess we could talk about workup potentially or maybe things on exam because this is all still like the HPI. Yeah. So like maybe what we would want to test for like on our physical exam. Yeah. Yeah. What would you be looking for? It's like a fluid overloaded state. It's like an S3. If I could hear that on exam, if there's any crackles on lung exam, I guess like, I'm sorry, you go. No, yeah, for sure. Just like the pitting edema and like you could check for, well, I guess there wouldn't be sacral edema anywhere else, but just like that's something I think about in an inpatient setting if they had been lying down for a while. 
And like you said, checking the lungs. And then examining the extremities themselves, looking for erythema, signs of like infection there or injury. I think I want like in terms of workup, like an echo for sure. Start with any, like start with like any KG. But I agree. I think, I think I would have reason enough to get an echo BNP. as well. Yeah, a BNP would for be a good call. Mm -hmm. Yeah, check thyroid levels because I know like thyroid in interferes with so many things. Yeah. Um, I would check the thyroid levels because she has hypothyroid. I would also just get a, like, check the electrolytes, get, like, a BMP. Why are we worried about her liver? Maybe, like, oh, because, like, it was exacerbated by drinking alcohol. Like, if you think it would be, like, I don't know if they have, she has, like, cirrhosis. If she was, like, drinking a lot on the bachelor trip and it's worsened with, like, drinking alcohol, if it's some sort of, like, liver injury that's causing the backup. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So I think a good abdominal exam then. Too, yeah. Things like ascites. And then at that point, I would maybe just get liver enzymes too. So make the BMP a CMP. Yeah. And I think also like kidney is something that we could think about, especially with like edema, maybe get an albumin to see if like there's any signs of like a nephrotic situation because that can present with swelling. I think usually you'd see some like periorbital swelling though with that too. So definitely looking for that on exam. So I think a CMP would help with that as well. And maybe just doing like urine protein. Yeah. So I think for physical exam, we talked about, so our workup right now, I think would include an echo, a CMP, and then like maybe like urine protein. It's like the three things we would do. And then like BNP. And oh the yeah, BNP. Well, the liver enzymes would be oh, on yeah. the CMP. Sorry. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Takes four years to figure that out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all I would want to get to for right now. I don't think we need a CBC. Even though we always get a CBC. Do we need a CBC? Oh, for infection. I guess if we want to check blood oh, yeah. vessel count. But isn't but for on review systems, it seems like there's no fever, no... I think we could just always throw CDC on, but I <laughs> yeah. appreciate your high-value care. Yeah. <laughs> I think just to recap before we give you some more info, you guys are worried. Bilateral lower extremity swelling in a young woman. Big buckets being the heart, the liver, her kidneys. Also concerned about infection. You guys talked about vascular stuff, but less likely given it's bilateral. And you've given us a pretty broad workup, so we'll give you some more information. So the next aliquot contains a physical exam. So vitals are BP 148 over 88, heart rate of 80, temperature of 97.3, SpO2 98% on room air. In general, she's well appearing and no acute distress, cardiovascular exam, regular rate and rhythm with no murmurs, pulmonary exam, clear to auscultation bilaterally, abdominal exam, soft, mildly distended, non-tender, Extremities, notable for 3++ plus plus pitting edema to level of the mid-thigh bilaterally and non-pitting edema upwards to the abdomen with no calf tenderness bilaterally. Oh, they're so swollen. So, yeah. well, not really. <laughs> Her blood pressure is high, I would say, yeah. right? So that, that's significant to me that if she doesn't have a history of hypertension, it's high blood pressure. Yeah, I think that would, the pertinent positives from this are the significant hypertension. I would say her abdomen being mildly distended could possibly be something. We're talking about like liver, but clearly it's not like very evident ascites. And then just the fact that the edema is so severe and extensive upward to the abdomen, which I've never heard of. Me neither. Honestly. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. And like three plus plus, I don't even know how bad that is, but seems like a lot. It reminds me yeah, of that, like, that. you know, those, like, <laughs> elephant, like, you know, that, like, elephant trunk legs that, like, is, like, one of those parasites? That's what that's making me think of. That's what you're picturing? Yeah, but I don't remember which parasite it was. She didn't look like that, but okay. she was pretty, pretty swollen. Like, okay. Really impressively swollen. Okay. 
up to her abdomen. I don't really have much else to add. Yeah, I think it's okay. heart ideology is my number one thing okay. right now. Same. So it doesn't really change your differential too much. I think we can keep everything that was, it doesn't make me want to cross anything off okay. or add anything on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More so the absence of seeing other things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cherry, you have anything? Uh, yeah. So I have a quick teaching point on pitting versus non-pitting edema. Mm-hmm. So as most of us are kind of aware, pitting edema is when there's an indentation created when pressure is applied to an area of swelling. And this usually happens in the lower extremities versus non-pitting edema is when there's no indentation left behind after pressure is released. Non-pitting edema can actually occur usually in a localized region. So it can be in the lower limbs, but also can happen in the upper limbs. So the question that I was curious about is why does pitting edema pit and non-pitting edema doesn't? So pitting edema happens kind of like you all were talking about because of retention of fluid that's mainly water in the interstitial space around cells. So potential causes of this are states of volume overload like in cirrhosis or heart failure, venous insufficiency, or damage to vessels like after a DVT. And because it is mainly water that is retained in pitting edema, when pressure is placed on the area, water is easily forced into the surrounding compartments, which is why there's a depression left after you move your hand. And then for non-pitting edema, that's a retention of water that contains mainly proteins and salt. So that's the difference between pitting and non-pitting edema. And this often occurs from an injury or pathology relating to the thyroid or the lymph. And so when pressure is placed on non-pitting edema, the water is not as easily displaced into the surrounding cells because the solutes in the interstitial space is keeping the water there. That's another word for oncotic pressure. And then in terms of approach, you all were kind of touching on it already. For pitting edema, even though there's usually an underlying condition, often tactics like elevating the feet or compression stockings or, you know, if resistant to that, diuretics are the methods that you use to address pitting edema versus for non-pitting edema, it's most important to determine the underlying cause and base treatment off of that. And then my last point is on how to characterize pitting edema. So you all were kind of talking about like, what is three plus plus, et cetera. So as we've talked about, the one plus or the two plus is determined by the depth of the imprint and the length of time it takes for the depression to resolve or the rebound time. And so I personally find it difficult to eyeball depth. So I usually use rebound time. So for one plus, that means that it rebounds almost immediately. For two plus, that means it rebounds in 15 seconds or less. Three plus is 60 seconds and four plus is two to three minutes. And so I would assume that three plus plus is between <laughs> 60 seconds and two to three minutes is my assumption. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, that great recap. The three plus plus was me being extra. Uh, <laughs> that, was like there's taking, like so much edema. It was that taking is... so long and I wasn't going to wait. That's funny. So moving on to our next aliquot. Aliquot four. The patient's chest x-ray was normal. EKG was normal. CBC notable for a white blood cell count of 3.8, hemoglobin of 9.4, normocytic, and platelet count of 140. BMP notable for sodium of 140, potassium 4.5, chloride 110, bicarb 24, BUN 29, creatinine 1.35, with her baseline usually being 0.8. Liver tests showed normal enzymes, albumin was 2.0, total protein was 5.1. Urinalysis showed two plus blood and red blood cells were present. A spot urine protein was 3,005 milligrams and urine protein to creatinine ratio is 13.8. Her TSH was nine with a free T4 of 0.75 and that was within normal ranges. BNP was 175, which was normal. Iron studies were all within normal ranges. B12 was 116, which is low. And LDH was 214, which is normal. 
And then the ANA titer was positive for a ratio of 1 to 1,280 with the reflux pending. 1 to 1,280? Correct. That's pretty high, right? Because that's like you can still detect it when it's diluted that much is what that means. Yes, exactly. So that seems like autoimmune kids. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Woman in her 30s. Okay. I guess like pertinent from the labs. So to me, it seems like she's hypoalbuminic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking more about like a kidney etiology, like maybe the nephronic thing, like we talked about before. Her spot urine protein, 3,000 milligrams. So I think the cutoff is three, not 3.5, right? For, or is it 3.5? It's three grams uh-huh. in a 24 hour period. So it's a lot. Uh, like so this is spot. Okay. Yeah. I just remember because we do protein creatinine for like preeclampsia and that would be like, you'd be severely like it. So she's filling a lot of protein is my so guess. So it is nephrotic. Yeah. The nephritic. She has some blood. So it could also be mixed. Yeah. But I, I agree. Like, I think so much protein is making me think. I mean, isn't this just lupus? That's what I have. Everything from it's, it's always lupus. <laughs> I don't <don't> care. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, when I was thinking in front, I was like, what else? Lupus. But I agree. Like, it's making me think. Kidneys, the protein creatinine ratio is very elevated. Her creatinine level is very elevated compared to her baseline. It's like close to almost double, which is wild. Blood and protein. And then she's like, so I'm thinking about like an autoimmune kidney. Yeah, like what we were saying before. I'm trying to think about if there's anything we're missing. So her white blood cell count, what's, I forgot what the lower limit of normal is. Four. 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 So she's close. I wouldn't be too worried about that. And then anemic, which can make sense in any like chronic condition. So I'm not hyper fixating on that right now. Her platelets are low too, right? A little bit. 145, I think, is normal. Yeah. So she's a little bit like pansy. Yeah, which also could happen, you're right, like if she's just like really like in a fluid, I guess that would be a hyper fluid state. Which she is. Yeah, it's just like just like dilute. Especially if it's neurocytic anemia. Yeah. The difference is a little bit smaller. Yeah, I agree. So her iron studies were within normal. Her B12 was low, but we're not really focused. I'm not really focusing on that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Get her vitamin. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, that's fine. Just to supplement you. But yeah, I wish she had clotting factors. What are you thinking about? Or I guess like, cause isn't that like another thing that can be affected by kidney disease, like nephrotic syndrome is like you spill those as well or something. Oh yeah, like your antithrombin. Yeah, yeah. Like gamma globulin. Yeah. <laughs> All these words. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like I think like you can have like that spill. But I am thinking like some sort of kidney autoimmune condition. I'm wondering if we should, if we would like now, like if she's like got ANA, if we would send like other like autoimmune labs. Yeah. What would you send? I guess the lupus ones are what like are double stranded DNA. There's the cardio. No, that I'm thinking of. Uh, I guess I'm thinking of antiphospholipid, which always interacts with lupus. Well, like Aren't like vasculinity is also associated with nef- like yeah. product nephritic? So I guess like P can you remember P Sienka, those things? Yeah, I think yeah. So I think those would be good in this case, especially because there's also blood. Yeah. I mean, are you gonna jump to kidney biopsy? I don't know if I would. Yeah, I wouldn't jump. The reflex is pending. I agree. Do that. So I think we should. I agree. I think we should wait before we do that too. And then, like, other things that can cause those, like, I said, like, infection. So then, like, like the post-strep situation. Mm. She just traveled. I don't know. I guess I'd, like, want to know a little bit. Like, if she has, like, PSGN? Like, yeah, just, like, I just try to be, like, broad with my, like, 
without focusing on lupus for the mm. cause of her kidney issues, you know, like think about other things. So, yeah. But I agree. The vasculitis will help. I'm trying to think about like my differential for like nephrotic syndrome. Oh, and then like so. complement because sometimes like they don't show up or something. Like there's the ones that are like normal complement and the ones that are low. So it can help. Oh, to go down like one path versus the other. Yeah, I don't know. I, that path. just can help with the differential, I feel like. Ladies, I love your reasoning right now. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I think Sherry has some more teaching points for us that might help build on this. Yeah, so like you guys were talking about, talking about distinguishing between nephritic and nephrotic syndrome. So both are, as you all probably know, manifestations of disease of the glomerulus, which is the apparatus that filters the blood that comes into the kidney and eventually forms the what exits the body as urine. So nephrotic syndrome results from damage to podocytes, which are part of the filtration barrier of the glomerulus. So when this barrier is damaged, a lot of times the solutes that shouldn't be able to get through can. So we can see heavy proteinuria, over three grams over 24 hours, hypoalbuminemia, like you were pointing out, Lauren, which is less than 3.5 grams per deciliter in the blood, and peripheral edema. So if a patient fulfills these three criteria, then they have nephrotic syndrome. Other notable characteristics of nephrotic syndrome are lipiduria, so lipids in the urine, fatty casts in the urine. Edema in nephrotic syndrome is usually more generalized than it is in nephritic syndrome. And there's also an increased risk of clotting because the patient is losing antithrombin-3 through the urine as well. Nephritic syndrome, so this is also damage to the glomerulus, but it's a more kind of general term of inflammation of the glomerulus. One of the notable things that we look for for nephritic syndrome is something called glomerular hematuria. Glomerular hematuria means that you find certain red blood cells in the urine. So we see acanthocytes, which are also known as spur cells, red blood cell casts, and mild to moderate proteinuria. So the proteinuria in nephritic syndrome can actually often rise to nephrotic levels, but this doesn't exclude nephritic syndrome, nor does it mean that a patient has nephrotic syndrome if they don't meet those three criteria that I mentioned earlier. And patients in nephritic syndrome can also have mild to moderate edema, hypertension, or sterile pyuria. And notably, if a patient meets both the criteria for nephrotic and nephritic syndrome, they have something called mixed nephritic nephrotic syndrome. So like we talked about, kind of determining if it's nephrotic or nephritic can help under determine the underlying causes that could be present. So then just a kind of brief overview of the differential diagnosis for nephritic and nephrotic syndrome. For nephrotic syndrome, we think of things like minimal change disease, FSGS. It can actually also be perineoplastic, so cancer cells can trigger the immune system to produce abnormal proteins that form complexes and deposit in the glomeruli, which results in an inflammatory response and then causing, causes damage to the filtration barrier. We can see the perineoplastic nephrotic syndrome in cancers like solid organ tumors, Hodgkin lymphoma, and thymola. Other causes of nephrotic syndrome include infection, so HIV, Hep B and C, malaria, and syphilis can cause nephrotic syndrome. Drugs and toxins can cause nephrotic syndrome. There's a huge long list, but things like NSAIDs, interferon, lithium, and then we can see some heavy metals, gold and mercury can all cause nephrotic syndrome. And then like you all were touching on, autoimmune causes like lupus and diabetes and amyloidosis can cause nephrotic syndrome. As for nephritic syndrome, there is a group of diseases called Inca-associated vasculitis. So this includes GPA, like granulomatosis with polyangitis, which is also known as Wegener's disease. Here we'll see sinus issues, kidney issues, and joint and skin issues. There's also eGPA, which is also known as Churg-Strauss, which is a very similar disease, except for the E, which stands for eosinophilic predominance. 
And microscopic polyangitis is also one of those Inca-associated vasculitis. In the nephritic syndrome category, we also have PSGN, like you were talking about, Lauren, so the post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis. There's also good pasture syndrome, which is a lung and kidney involvement disease, IgA nephropathy, also known as Berger's disease, and many autoimmune causes as well, and infectious causes, which can overlap with the causes of nephrotic syndrome. So hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HIV, and bacterial infections. For the next aliquot, our patient is having worsening blood pressure and her creatinine is continuing to rise. She is started on furosemide for symptomatic relief. And some of the antibodies come back that you all asked for. So double-stranded DNA antibody is 31, which is high. Her RNP Smith antibody is more than eight, which is high. And her Smith antibody is more than eight, which is high. So factor- Those are the only ones I know <laughs> for lupus. I don't even know what, they, what else they would overlap with. So yeah, factoring in everything you know so far. It's like labs from the last aliquot, her UA, stuff like that. How does this fit in with everything you guys have talked about? Sounds like lupus to me. <laughs> yeah. I think these tests are have a lot higher of a specificity as well than that ANA. And so I don't, I can't think of conditions where like they would all be elevated. Yeah. Besides that. Uh huh. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that we have at least a diagnosis. And then if not, like the only thing would be like, is there anything overlapping? But that's yeah. kind of extra. Yeah. <laughs> what other things might you look into to confirm your diagnosis? You could do a biopsy, as Tisha said earlier. I know that's hard. I'm trying to think yeah. if there's other ways of confirming. But yeah, I think the gold standard is probably yeah. a kidney biopsy. The ladies mentioned some another serologic test we could do earlier being the complement levels. Oh, yeah. Do you know what pattern you'd expect to see in someone with lupus? Do you? I don't remember. Recently with C3. That's just a guess. Yeah, like C- it would be C3 low. C3 and or... C4. Yeah. Do you know if they're high or low? Low. C3. <laughs> low C3. Finally. <laughs> cool. And then just to keep, keep other options open, what do you guys think? Much signal from the liver, any signal from the heart seems... Things seem to really be focusing on the kidneys. Would you guys agree? Mm-hmm. Cool. So for our next aliquot, <laughs> so her C3 comes back as 42, which is low, and her C4 came back as 8, which is low, and she underwent a renal biopsy. So what is your final diagnosis? Lupus nephritis. <laughs> wow. And what's, what's your backup? How do you back that up? Like what our second option is on our differential no, no, no. or how do we prove Su- it? Support your diagnosis. Oh, you can start. Well, I mean, I guess so we know from her antibodies that she does have lupus, but that's not enough to say she has lupus nephritis, obviously. So then when you look at her labs and like the protein levels, you know that she meets the criteria. Well, I guess you said it's like a 24 hour one, but and they can also overlap. But did, was there red blood cells in her urine as well? So that's one of the nephritic qualities. There is protein at least in that. And then you can also have swelling. So it explain her chief complaint. What was the other diagnostic criteria for nephritis? Yeah, I said. Really focused on the bleeding part of it. So okay, like yeah. RBCs, RBCs cast, there's protein, cast, yeah. Protein. yeah. And the story makes sense. Like the sun could have caused a flare in like one of her conditions. Like maybe like that's what... I was thinking about like why the bachelorette party kind mm-hmm. of caused it, but like maybe that's part of like the storyline a little bit. But, I mean, yeah. just the fact that we've like ruled out a lot of other things that might yeah. cause like bilateral extremity edema, yeah. including like cardiac and mm-hmm. liver causes. Right. So, yeah. So feel good about it? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. 
So our last aliquot, or second to last aliquot, the path returns with class four and five lupus nephritis with a final diagnosis of SLE or lupus. And then for resolution, so the patient was started on methylpred one gram for three days while in the hospital to protect and preserve renal function. She was transitioned to mycophenolate and hydroxychloroquine and started on losartan for hypertension and proteinuria. She was also started on apixaban, 2.5 milligrams for DVT prophy, secondary to hypoalbuminemia and nephrotic range proteinuria. And she was also given an IM injection of vitamin B12. She had the diagnosis of pernicious anemia, anti-intrinsic factor antibody was positive. And then her swelling improved and she also was treated with the temporary bumetanide or Bumex and continued on her lupus treatment. Wow. They always teach us the answer is never lupus. <laughs> I feel like the answer has been lupus so many times. Yeah, and then like in, like in the hospital, they're always like, the answer is never lupus. If you guys think about this case as like the presentation of lupus being primarily just kidney problems, what other things do you normally look for for a patient with lupus? Like the rash or, you know, the, there's like, what else is, lupus has so many things. But yeah. like, we always think about like the ra the different kinds of rashes. Yeah, honestly, like I had a patient on neurology where she presented with just like weakness and it was another young, like 27 year old. And I feel like that case just taught me like lupus came in any way. <laughs> and so like, in a weird way, I feel like this case didn't really surprise me, like, <laughs> you know? And like, it was like similar, it's like she had just gone on a camping trip. So it's like, oh my God, it's like Yonre and like all this stuff. Yeah. And it's like, it's just lupus. So whenever there's like a young woman, Maybe I'm just thinking, let's get an ANA. <laughs> also, I think the resolution is interesting because it's like, we're like B12, whatever. Let's just like get for a vitamin. <laughs> I knew when we said that, I was like, oh, this is going to come back to bite us as it does yeah. for any doctor who's like dismissive of something. Yeah. Her anemia like, was probably twofold. Like you can get yeah. cytopenia yeah. from the lupus, but she was also pretty B12 deficient. Yeah. yeah, but I'm just saying like, because it's pernicious anemia, yeah. which is like autoimmune. Yep. It's like that could have been a clue, of yeah. course, that we just they always <laughs> dismissed. You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. I think Sherry has some good teaching points for lupus. Yeah, so my last teaching point is about diagnosing lupus. So the American College of Rheumatology published these criteria. In order to even consider diagnosing lupus, the entry criterion is an ANA titer of over 1 to 80. And then basically it's a scoring system. So you can get points for clinical criteria or immunology-related criteria. And in order to diagnose someone with lupus, you need to score at least 10 points. And there also has to be at least one clinical criteria that the patient meets. The domains within the clinical criteria, which you all were kind of touching on, are constitutional symptoms, hematologic signs, neuropsychiatric signs, mucocutaneous signs, cirrhosal, musculoskeletal, and renal signs. And then the domains within immunology criteria are basically different antibodies. So antiphospholipid antibodies, complement proteins, and lupus-specific antibodies. And notably, if the patient has two of the criteria within one domain, so for example, our patient had within the hematologic domain leukopenia and thrombocytopenia, we just take the criteria that has the higher point value and add that. So leukopenia is worth three points and thrombocytopenia is worth four points, so we would only add four points to the patient's total from the hematologic domain. And our patient scored 24 points, so it definitely oh, cleared yeah. the marker. What's the number? Uh, 10. 10. Yeah. Well, yeah. You get a lot of points for having the specific antibodies. Oh, and yeah. what was really interesting, she lacked like all of the classic clinical features that you see. So that's why it was like interesting to get to this. But as you both have said, lupus can do anything and present in any way. <laughs> <laughs> 
you guys have any final reflections? I think that like what really like got me is like thinking that it was a 30 year old woman took a few things off. I think we like thought about buckets, but honestly, we didn't think about kidney until later, like when you said it, Lauren, and I had left kidney off for a little bit. Even I think and if it was like a 65 year old patient, I think I would have included kidney earlier in my like differential of fluid overloaded states. And so I think like keeping that open, open ended a little bit and like not I mean, it was autoimmune, which is often in younger patients anyways. But I think keeping my mind a little bit open to that, not just based on like someone's like demographic characteristics was something I thought about. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it's just like I remember to be more systematic. Like as soon as you brought up the liver, then I was like, all right, let me think about the other organs, (laughs) like the kidney. And we just anchored so hard on like cardiac, things like like infection. And I guess it's just like this just reminded me that you should always be thinking through the systems and not kind of like dismiss anything. But I also felt like pretty good. I was like, together we did then. <laughs> I haven't done a medicine rotation in like half a year. <laughs> Didn't even know I remember those words. So like, I don't know. I was like, you know, maybe it'll be okay. Maybe we'll be okay. <laughs> you guys got it and you got it quick too. <laughs> I think so after fast. the initial labs, you're like, oh, this could be lupus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The a and I'm just like, we're just both like, we yeah. just <laughs> So as long as I can bring you half my brain, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> All right, Cherry, anything else to wrap us up? No, they're teaching points, but I was, yeah, I was very impressed. You guys narrowed in so quickly. And then the word nephrotic syndrome immediately came up and I was just yeah. like, what? We're literally on aliquot too. So <laughs> I was very, that Love was it. very cool to see. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. You guys did amazing. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. For some time and place. We'll see you next time.